Well, we're going to have a really fun, fun moment here today. And what we're going to do is we're just going to unpack our last two years. And it's been very challenging. We've gone through a whole bunch of challenge in our marriage, challenge in our family, challenge with what God's called us to do. And we were talking about it and um, we just wanted to kind of share it with you. It's a very emotional journey. It's a very emotional story of God's faithfulness. And in that, we've learned a lot. As you know, um, we have children and they, they came a little bit of with some dysfunction and some challenging associated with that. And in this process, we've just realized a few things. And one is there is a time for everything. God has a time for everything. God has a time for preparation in your life, what he's doing to prepare you. He has a time he'll reveal that plan to you. And sometimes there's a mystery in it and we just have to know that God's in it and then he'll fulfill that plan. And we're just gonna unpack a little bit of that for you today. Is that okay? Awesome. Well, we're going to start out with April talking about how it all began. How did it all begin, baby? So, so we got married in 2012. And when we got married, um, Randy had had two kids from a prior marriage. And I had never been the type of girl that grew up just wanting a husband and children. That wasn't me. And so, um, so I was good with the, the two bonus kids. I just figured, hey, we're good. We're done. We're hey, let's go travel Europe for the rest of yeah, our lives. Like that in the name of <laughs> and, Jesus, of course. Yeah, yes, of, course. of course. And so yeah. um, I, I just, the desire was not there. And people told me I'd changed my mind, and I said, nah, I won't change my mind. So God changed my mind. Five years later, uh, through a series of events, he just started putting in my heart the desire for children. And so I brought it to Randy, and he wasn't, super excited about it. Uh, it was a struggle. And so we kind of just left it alone. We weren't going to try. We weren't going to like even really talk about it that much. It was just, we just kind of left it. And then lo and behold, uh, some stuff happened. And, um, I, I came to, to Randy and I said, uh, don't freak out. So I'm sitting on the couch watching NASCAR, as all good men do, <clears throat> except on Sundays when you're at church, we miss all the races now. But. So I was sitting there, and um, she came up and sat next to me and held my arm. Oh, cool. She's going to watch the race with me. <laughs> and uh, so she just says, looks in my eyes, says, baby, don't freak out. I'm like, okay, I won't. But I, re- I, I thought two things. We just lost all of our money, or something happened with my children, and she knows first. <clears throat> and um, she began to disclose that there's something that happens monthly for a woman that did not happen. You guys can catch up on that if you need to. And um, I went, wow, okay. And at that point, I realized I had about one second to decide, am I going to have an issue with it or am I going to be all in? And, I, and I, just, I immediately just went, I'm all in. I don't want to talk about it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm in. I guess I'm going to be a dad again. So I said, okay, let's get the EPT test. So I go, I grab a test, and um, I, I took it, and immediately it was a positive result. We were definitely pregnant. And so I waited uh, several hours, yeah. um, and I didn't tell him. And he came to me later before we were coming to an outpouring, um, and he said, so did you take the test? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, and I, I said, yeah, it's positive. We're, we're pregnant. And he's like, 
why didn't you tell me? And I said, because I just wanted you to have a few more hours to enjoy <laughs> without babies. And um, so, you know, from the, from the beginning, it felt very divine. We had a lot of prophetic words over a these kids. A lot of prophetic words over these kids. Um, so many. And there were other people around me that were also pregnant that weren't getting all the words. And so... Um, I just thought that my kids were extra special, and I thought that we were like going to be right up there, right underneath Jesus, because you know there's so <laughs> many prophetic words, and Jesus had prophetic words, and so hey, this is going to be amazing. These kids are going to be the best ever. Wow, what a destiny, what a calling. Oh my gosh, God has called Randy and you oh, to be the parents so of these good. kids. Wow. So good. So, um, so we had a, a strong sense of that all the way through, and um, even to the point at a Bethel conference. We're at this Bethel conference, and I just want to speak to a moment. If God's ever given you a prophetic word, or you've had someone speak to your life, or maybe God touched you reading the word of God, or maybe as a worship song, and all of a sudden you knew that you knew, I want to encourage you to hold on to that, and don't let it touch the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to it. Do not let that preparation fall to the ground, because God will tell you that ahead of time to prepare you. Because sometimes the process is different than the promise. Because we, sometimes we see the equipping, but we don't see the experiencing. And you need to hold on to that. And we sometimes can lose sight of that in, in once the challenge in circumstances get bigger than us. All of a sudden we, oh, look, that didn't mean anything, but that's not true. Absolutely not true. So hold on to those. So I'm at a Bethel conference, and here's where God started preparing us. Um, it was a Thursday through Saturday event, and it was a Thursday, Friday. We went through it, and we all received stuff, and, but I didn't really get rocked, rocked. And then come Saturday, I heard this song that I hadn't heard before. It was called Reckless Love. So I'm at a Bethel conference, and they're singing the song live, and it just wrecked me. Man, it just brought me to my knees. I was just crying, and I felt really the Spirit of God is giving, just blessing me. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, write it down. So I pulled out my phone. I opened up Evernote, getting ready to write it down, and I just began to write, twins, boys. The first one's name, will, middle name will be Elijah. The second one's name will be Israel. And it was it. So we were all walking back to the hotel room that night. There was a tribe of us in, through, in crossing the street in a parking lot. I just handed my phone to April and I said, look. And she's like, what? And I said, yeah, I think we're having twin boys. And um, I said, don't tell anybody because I don't want my ego to take a hit if I'm wrong. <laughs> you know? So just, just make sure we can confirm it. So we knew at that time we were pregnant and twins. We had no idea what was about to unfold. Yeah, the doctors had said from the beginning it was a high-risk pregnancy, but of course, I thought that we were exempt from that because, you know, we love Jesus, and so that stuff doesn't happen. So you can say it's high-risk all you want, but I, I'm too special. <laughs> I, I love Jesus, God loves me, so it's not going to be a problem. Nothing's ever going to be a problem. And so... Um, they were watching me really closely all the way through the pregnancy. We got to 29 weeks, and the doctor called me in at the last minute and said, I, I really need to see you. So I said, okay. So I came in, he did uh, some measuring, and um, he said, so remember the difference that we had talked about, that we didn't want to exceed this threshold of baby A being bigger than baby B? And I said, yes. And he said, we have now exceeded the threshold. Baby B was very, very small, and baby A was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And he was concerned because baby B was being compromised and his life was at stake. And so he said, we need to restrict your activities. You need to go into the hospital. So I went in and it was Randy's 55th birthday that weekend. We were gonna have a really big party for him. And I was leading worship and I just really didn't feel like I wanted to go into the hospital on bed rest. Um, But he said, you really need to. Um, I'll worry about you if you don't. So I went in, canceled his birthday party. Aww. Yeah. Thank you. And um, on Monday, they came, they remeasured. They had done everything that they could do to keep me pregnant. And they remeasured the boys and the... uh, the difference in their weights was more. And now that they were monitoring it all the time, they were seeing that every time my stomach contracted, the blood flow to baby B got cut off and his heart stopped beating. So he was at risk. And so they said, we need to, we need to do this C-section right now. Pastor Chip and Darlin were with me when they came in and gave me the news. And it couldn't have been more divine because they were sitting there encouraging me. And then the doctor said, okay, we're going to do the C-section right now. So we, uh, they started wheeling me in uh, to the operation room. And then, um, and at that time, Jared, um, gosh, Jared, Galen, Trey, Susie, um, Terry Slayton, just a, a tribe of people were all on their way and we were getting ready to do it. And her body wasn't going into contractions because they were, the body is trained to survive. So it was basically extracting the kids um, to save the body. And there was nothing we could do about it. it they were, these babies were being delivered. And I remember um, sitting out there and our faith was high. I mean, we just knew God had a plan on all of this. We had no idea what we we're about to embark on. So we're sitting there, I'm sitting there, she's inside, and I'm in my scrubs, and these two people walk by, a tall gentleman and a short gentleman, all in scrubs, and they walk by, and the short person just kind of looked at my eyes as he walked by, then he stops, and he pauses, and he backs up, and he pulls down his mask, and he says, can I be honest with you? I said, absolutely, and I pull off my mask, and if anyone's heard me minister, and most of you have over these years at one point in time, um, the language he used was incredible, because he looks at me and he says, that little one, that little one inside of mama, he said, he's formed for battle. He's formed for battle. He's gonna go forwards and he's gonna go backwards, but he's gonna survive because he's formed for battle. And if anyone knows me, that's my language. I mean, a doctor saying that to me I, I can't imagine the medical community saying that type of language. And then he went in, and little did I know when I went in, he was the surgeon. So good. And just, um, the reason I'm telling you this is because, because of this preparation, we were allowed to walk through everything we walked through up until this morning to be concerned but never alarmed. We didn't have to turn anything into a crisis because we knew God had already prepared us for it. He gave us the names, and April wasn't really even on board with the names. She's like, I don't get to say so in this? Yeah. Elijah and uh, Israel, really? Yeah. I don't know. What, what would you have said? What would you have done? Sage. <laughs> Light. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have some pictures we want to share with you of um, shortly after they were born. 
So this is a really cool story right here. And this is just a really unique moment. This is about three days after they were born. This is Grayson. And you're not allowed to touch your child um, at this age. It, it takes a few weeks because of everything going on in germs. So I just had my hand in and I was prophesying over him. And I am not kidding you. His little hand just went up. What a crazy example of our relationship with God. When his hand's on us, how we just we reach for it. And I'll tell you, there's never been a, a, a life or a time more important in my life that I took my camera out with God. If you ever not moved, this is the time that you don't move. God, how do you get selfie on this stupid thing? Okay. Go, go. It's not working. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah, that was, just a, that was just a crazy good moment. And then the next one is me with Ryder. There's a little Ryder. So Grayson was born a pound and a half, a little, little over a pound and a half, but smaller than a Barbie doll. And Ryder was born a little over three pounds. And then keep going, Mark. Now, why don't you tell the story of this one, honey? This is you and Ryder. So um, uh, when they're born so early and, you know, it's so, it's a serious, serious thing. Um, you can't, like Randy said, you can't touch them. You, I mean, you can sometimes put your hand on their head, um, but you can't hold them. And so we had to wait and wait and wait and wait until Ryder, the bigger one, the healthier one, was stable enough to be held. And so this is the first time that I was able to hold him. He was three weeks old, and it was really the most, um, one of the highlights of my life because I had to wait so long to hold my baby. And so this was just a really, really sweet, sweet moment. He snuggled right in. It was a good moment. That's, yeah. Um, at the hospital, they prepare you and they tell you it's two steps forward, one step back. But again, I'm slightly entitled because I love Jesus. And so I'm thinking, no, 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 there's no steps back. It's just 10 steps forward and we just get out of here and move on with our lives. And so, uh, sure enough, it was two steps forward, one step back. We'd walk in one day and they'd say, okay, they're doing great. We were able to lower their settings a little bit. They've gained some weight. We're able to feed them more. We're and you're like, everybody, Facebooking, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. And then the next day you come in and they have this insane infection. Right. They're on antibiotics again. I mean, Ryder got this insane insane infection. It had never happened at Holy Cross before. And it happened to Ryder. Yep. And we, he had to go into quarantine. We had to like suit up into like a, a, I don't know, it felt like an astronaut suit to go in and see him and visit him. And it was just, it was nuts. And Grayson, he got pneumonia. His blood, uh, the blood in his heart, his heart kept pumping blood into his lungs. And so his lungs like couldn't even catch a break because they were drowning in his own blood. And uh, it, was, it was pretty tough. Um, Grayson, after three weeks, they got transferred to Children's Hospital in Los Angeles because he needed to do a heart surgery to correct that heart issue. So this is an amazing story right here because we've been into it for about four weeks now and we're at Holy Cross every day with our kids and it's starting to become real that okay, this is going to be much different than we anticipated. And then now all of a sudden, Grayson had such challenges. He was emergency moved to CHLA. Now I got one kid in, in Holy Cross, one over in CHLA. And you're trying to navigate that on a daily basis. And I'm still working here and we're still trying to figure it all out. 
And um, <clears throat> the cool thing was there was this one lady, and I am just convinced she, she got it. She was tracking what was going on. She goes, you know what I think Ryder, Ryder may have Noonan's disease. And the only way to treat that is to send him to CHLA with his brother. So, uh, yeah, we're sending him out tomorrow. I think he needs to be tested. And you're just like, oh, hallelujah. We knew he didn't have Noonan's disease, but we were just so thankful that they were both being kept together. It was so important to us. Yeah. Um, so once we got to CHLA, Ryder started getting into his groove. He was gaining weight consistently. He was needing less and less and less ventilator support. And finally, on Mother's Day, they were able to discharge him. He came home, and it was incredibly bittersweet because I had my baby home on Mother's Day, but then his brother, my other son, was still at Children's Hospital, and it did not look good. And he was alone. Alone. He was alone. That was a tough day. My next, my next Mother's Day, all the rest of my Mother's Days are going to be so awesome, yeah. so much better. <laughs> Because, you know, first one was rough. So, um, so basically, uh, Randy and I were fighting really hard to get them home. Because we knew if they can get into our house, because we fight for peace in our house. It's a high value for us. Our house is peaceful. We knew if we could get him home, he would start healing. We knew if we could get him home, he would start developing. He would be doing better. So... We were like pushing really hard to get them home, really, really hard. Yeah. And so uh, finally, after 222 days, uh, Grayson was able to come home. But he only came home on the condition that he had a tracheostomy. And so the doctor recommended that we put a tube in his throat, we put a tube in his stomach, fix a couple other things, all in the same surgery, he rocked it, Four surgeries at one time, record at CHLA, and Grayson was a rock star. Um, but uh, we, we, so we came home with a ventilator, oxygen tanks, with um, nurses. We came home after a three-month journey of us being trained in the hospital because we had to know how to save his life. If a mucus plug happens, here's what you have to do. You have to take this tube in and out, put it back in. The first time we, Randy did a trach change, he cried. Yeah. He cried because he's so just horrible. like, there is a hole in my son's throat. Right. Like it's the weirdest, weirdest thing ever to do that trach change. And so we're learning all of this. We got prepared. He came home and... It was awesome to have him home. And I thought that the battle was over. I thought, okay, we got him home. That's all we wanted. We just needed them home, and now they're home. Little did I know that we were going to go into another season of major difficulty, emotional difficulty, something that would draw on us physically and emotionally more than we could have ever imagined. And it drained our marriage. Right. It drained us as individuals. It drained our ability to, to be here and to give our best to our community. It drained everything. Right. Let's show a couple more pics, Mark. I think I've got a couple of more of the, the kids. This is April holding them together, which turned out to be a lot. She held them so much. Keep going. This is Little Gray in the, in the NICU still, I think. I never called him Little Gray before. This is our uh, 
this is last Easter. So we did Easter here with the big giraffe. Then we went and ran back home, and that's my little Grayson. Uh, look at that. Look at, he just knows his daddy. So he's got the trach now inside of his. Go back, Marco. Go back one, Mark, so you can see the trachs in him now. Now he's got the hole in his neck, and he's home. Okay, um, go ahead, Mark. And this is, this is yeah, of course, this guy clearly hates the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it, we were, oh, yeah, and there they are playing together. Just little brother loves big brother. Yeah. You know, we were shaken. It shook everything in us. It shook our faith. I, I think as Christians, it's easy for us to sometimes, in challenged circumstances, start looking at God for what he does and not who he is. And it shook that for us. And one thing I really love about godly shaking is it reveals what's unstable. And you'll see the loose stuff. You'll see what needs to be tightened up or shored up or worked on. And we were really able to pause, zoom out a little bit. You know, when, you, when you're into these things, you can zoom in so deeply, you're seeing all of the nuance of it all, but you're not seeing the bigger picture. And then God can somehow turn into this thing that you just need him to do stuff. And you lose focus on who he is. And I think for us, what the win has been is now it's not what he does, but it's that we may know him. And we have learned through this challenge and the shaking that not take it personal. And it's not easy to do it, but we've done, we've been really good now at not taking the problems personal. And there's a process to it, right? And I'm reminded of the, that story in Matthew where there's that guy that has the land and he sowed good seed. And then while he slept, the enemy came in and sowed bad seed. And then once he starts seeing all the bad seed, everybody starts looking at the guy that sowed the good seed and starts saying, I thought you sowed good seed. I thought you knew what you were doing. I thought you were a pastor. Why isn't your child healed? I thought you were a Christian. Why isn't your child healed? I thought you were a worship leader. Why isn't your child healed? I thought you were part of the Christian community. Why isn't your child healed? I thought you were saved. Why isn't your child healed? You know, you start going through this thing and you start getting really frustrated because honestly, people all over the world were praying for these two kids. We don't know how it happened, but many of our friends, Chip, you, you know, um, Gina, I see you back there too. You guys know that all these people we, from the Netherlands, from the Ukraine, from Germany, from Africa, Australia, have heard about these two twins and they were praying for them. And just all these people were like, we don't know why. And I would never forget um, this, this thing just resonated with me. Here's what the guy does. After all of this stuff, all the questioning, he stops and says, we're not going to deal with it. We'll wait till time of harvest and then we'll separate the bad from the good. If I do it now, I may hurt the good. So here's what I got from that. If the problem doesn't affect the purpose, leave it alone. If the problem doesn't affect the purpose, leave it alone. Don't take it personal. We're all gonna have problems. We're all gonna have difficulties. The truth was this. It was inconveniencing us. We were the ones that were having the challenge with it. God has a plan. God had prepared us for the plan. Now we're in the middle of the plan. There's a mystery to it and we are failing miserably. And we, we got to learn so much in our challenge. And I want to encourage you that it doesn't matter what you're going through. God has a plan. God has an end. And I think if you look back, you'll find out where he prepared you for it. And I'm sure your challenge is inconveniencing you. I'm sure it's frustrating. I'm sure it's just a pain in your rear. And it's not on your timeline. It's causing way too much time. It's too much money. Just let all that go. 
God has a plan. Amen. Yeah, um, I, I, like I said, I thought the battle was over when we got home and that everybody was home. Um, <laughs> so, so we did. Yeah, I, I really thought that. And um, I quickly realized the battle was not over. And um, at that point, I started like leaning into some depression and some real, real difficult moments. And part of the issue was that I was brought up Pentecostal, uh, highly charismatic, the, the holy rollers, those are my people. And um, so, you know, when you have that background, you know that you know that you know that it's not that God did move in miracles, he does move in miracles. It's not that he did healings, he does do healings. And so for me, it was like, well, my son needs a healing and you're the healer. So this is just a practical issue that can be solved really fast. Like, this is easy, God. All you have to do is just breathe into his lungs, and it's all over. He's done. And I, I bargained. I was like, God, if you'll heal him, Randy and I will give you all the glory, and we'll tell everybody how great you are and how you healed him. And all those doctors at Children's Hospital will know that you are God. And, you know, I'm like bargaining. Right. I'm, 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 I don't know that my heart was to manipulate, but I was doing everything I could <laughs> to get this kid healed. We were praying every prayer. We were singing every song. We were prophesying. We were speaking life. We were doing it all, and I wasn't seeing that movement and that traction. So I was speaking with my friend. She's a worship pastor at Expression 58, and I'm telling her, well, you know, God hasn't healed him. So, you know, this must be about us. You know, maybe there's a lesson that God needs to teach us. So if I just learn this lesson, then he'll get healed. I just need to figure out what it is that God's trying to teach me. And then God's going to heal him and we're all going to move on and it's going to be great. And she said, so lovingly, she said, God doesn't cause illness to teach you a lesson. And I just sat back and I said, yeah, you're right. And she said, maybe the question is not, why hasn't he been healed? Maybe the question is, can I be okay in this mystery of not knowing why he's healed? Can I still say, God, you're my strength. God, I know that you are faithful. God, you are good. No matter what I see, no matter what's going on, can I still say that? even in the midst of watching him on, on a ventilator with circuits. And truthfully, it's the hardest thing about this has been not being a victim and not looking inward and saying, wow, this sucks so much. This is like the worst thing ever and, and sitting in that victim feeling and maybe self-pity and just that's been the hardest thing to battle and fight through and it's a battle of the mind. And if it were not for this community of amazing spiritual mamas around me and amazing people around me and, and truthfully Randy, uh, I, I think I would be like in a ditch somewhere just dying because the emotional weight of it was so heavy. 
And um, I wrote this, this song that I want to share in a moment. Um, but before I do that, I want to share this passage out of Mark. It's uh, Mark 11:22, and it says this. Let the faith of God be in you. Listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain with great faith and having no doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask in prayer. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. My mountain wasn't moving. We were speaking to the mountain. We were telling the mountain to move. We were saying, you are healed in Jesus' name. Grayson, you don't need those ventilators. You can breathe on your own. You don't need those machines. I mean, we were doing it all. And uh, I was talking recently with my good friend, Reed Lackey, who was leading worship with us this morning. And he was sharing the story from his own life. And the story was this. He said, God, I need you to move this mountain. And God said to Reed, I am moving the mountain stone by stone. I'm moving the mountain piece by piece. I'm healing your body bone by bone. And that really resonated with me because it reminded me that God is moving. It just wasn't in the way that I wanted it to look like. I wanted immediate relief from the trial, immediate relief from our suffering and watching my son, Grayson, suffer. I wanted immediate relief from that. And uh, that's a mystery. And the truth is we're sharing this story. We're in the middle of this still. It feels a little weird to share this story because we're not at the end of it yet. We're in the middle. But our perspective is healthier than it was six months ago. It's healthier than it was a year ago. Absolutely. So I want to share this song with you, if you don't mind. Um, this is a song. It's a song of praise. And it's, um, it's what I want to say. These, these lyrics emulate how I want to feel every minute of every day as I manage this mystery. So if you would, just be blessed by this this morning. When the battle lingers on My position will be praise For I know you sent your word And the miracle is on the way And even through the night I'll bless your name And even in the dark I'll sing your praise Through the trial, I'll find your grace, and my life will be a song of praise. Today I will be still and learn to wait in peace. Lay it down.
praise, I will sing praise. In my brokenness, I will sing praise. In the face of a giant, I will sing praise. When the miracle delays, I will sing praise. When I've run out of prayers, I will sing praise. Praise you, Lord. In my brokenness, I will sing praise. And in the face of a giant, I will sing praise. And when the miracle delays, I will sing praise. And I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. Oh, Lord. I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. And I exalt Thee. Oh, Lord. And I exalt Thee. up my friends in this place today. God, all of us who are in the middle of the mystery, Lord, teach us to see with your perspective. Teach us to see in the spirit, to rise up out of our flesh, to rise up out of our entitlement and see things the way that you see them, God. God, let the, let the word of God be in our mouth. Let the word of praise be in our mouth at all times. We thank you for your grace that empowers us and we lean into that this morning. We lean into your strength. We love you so much, God. Amen. My wife, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for that. So beautiful. Well, our journey's crazy, right? Say, Mark, got a couple more picks for us in there? We've got a couple. There's our little Grayson. <laughs> my little Grayson Raisin, I call him. And there's, so here's the cool thing about the doctors. They like to have fat kids. So this, um, here's why, because he's on a 300% more calorie intake than he should have. And it's because the more fat cells, the faster his body heals. So they like to pork him up, then they get healed, and then they thin him down. <laughs> so oh, we'll hold off on that one, Marco. We'll go back to that one later. Thank you. 
Well, we've come to grips with our situation. We've grieved our ideals of what we thought our life should be. We've accepted our life for what it is, and it's pure joy. We're blessed. We're blessed. In the middle of it, we're blessed. We have a room right now that's a hospital room in our home that's 24-7 nursing that, you know, as a husband and a father, you want certain things for your wife. Like my wife, she was, when, when normal people have a child, a normal woman has a child, they get to hold their child, not my wife. It was three weeks, and then it was only hit and miss. Or when you have a child, you get to bring your child home and show it off. But no, that didn't happen to April. Or you get to have a child and you become mom. April became a nurse. She became a business manager. She became an office manager. She became a home manager because there is a room in my house that has to be stocked 24-7 with all sorts of medical needs and people and their schedules, there's books. And men, I have 16 women in my home. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, I have 11 of them trying to tell my wife how to be a mom. That uh, doesn't work well for, for me because this is mama bear. What she says goes. She rules that house. And I have had to learn a lot of decorum a lot of polite conversation. I really thank you for sharing that. That was really sweet. I really, it's beneficial too. I'm glad we got to hear it. However, um, April's already made some choices regarding that, so you need to sit your face down and <laughs> shut up and listen to my wife. <laughs> but I've had to learn a lot and say, honey, you need to have a conversation with her because you don't want me having the conversation with her. And um, it's, it's been challenging because patience is a process. And we've had to learn patience. We've had to learn to wait for things. It's not a light switch moment. It's a process to God's working inside of us. Now, I don't know about you, but April and I, we really know that we really don't know what we're doing in a lot of different areas. We don't know how to manage multiple churches that run thousands of people like we have here. Um, with this, Santa Paula, Canyon Country, Blythe, and there's more coming. We don't really know how to do that. We don't know how to handle these kids and the situation, all the nurses, but this is what we do know. We're anointed for it. And I want to speak that over you. What God's called you to do, you're anointed for. You may not know how to do it. You may not know all the ins and outs, but God will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. There's a power in the process. If we can just relax and stop blaming God for all the times he was late, and just realize that probably the bigger problem is you. Because I know in our own life, the biggest fatigue we've had is us. It's our mindset. We weren't doing a great job of letting God be God and worshiping him. We got really caught up in the details and what he wasn't doing. And then what happened, we had a theology change. Or the attempted theology change. Because you can change who God is if you want him to only correct your circumstances. That's not theology. No, God is God. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. He, it's, in, it's an incredible thing. But in the whole process, we can sum it up with that we know him. That we know him. I want to play one more video for you right now. Show this video. This is Grayson. <laughs> oh, 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 my gosh. <laughs> Look at this kid. Hi, buddy. 
Okay, Marco, that's good. That's our little grace and raisin. So about a year ago, we finally put on our NASCAR belts. We went in and talked to our sir, uh, the doctor over, over Ryder. And it's amazing because, because of Ryder's circumstances, at 29 weeks, one and a half pounds with very little lungs, he caught the attention of one of the world's greatest um, premature pulmonologists. And um, Dr. Benzal, she's been published for 13 years. She's on the world board. She's all over this world, only deals with special cases, and we got her. Um, amen, because she has been amazing. Thank you for God's preparation and all of that. So we went in about a year ago, and, you know, we'd been dealing with this stuff for probably six to eight months at that point, and we had a conversation with him. We thought we put on our big people pants, and we were able to handle it. Okay, what's this going to be? Just... Tell us exactly, no candy coating, what does this look like? She goes, a minimum of three, probably close to five years. And you just kind of go, oh. And I remember when I went, oh, I just heard the Lord go, nine months. And I kind of went, yeah, I'm going to go with that. And I do respect the medical community for a majority of what they do. And I, um, so I didn't say anything to her. I said, thank you so very much. We'll gear up, you know. And I told April, I heard like nine months in my spirit when she said that. And um, so we'll wait and see. I didn't want her to tell anybody, you know, because you don't want your ego bruised when it doesn't happen. <laughs> and um, what happened in two weeks was ridiculous. So about two weeks after this meeting, something happened to Grayson. He had a countenance change. His eyes changed, his color changed, his demeanor changed. He changed, and it was completely noticeable. Everybody noticed it. So we went back to our six-week checkup, which is four weeks after this, six weeks after the three to five years, and all they could say is phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. She brought in her assistant, and she utters these words, we have to wean him off this machine. In six weeks, and now I can tell you today, he's 10 hours a day off the machine. Yeah, it's incredible. The biggest miracle we have is that he's eating full food. And he's a trach baby, and it's unheard of, unheard of. So our story, we hope it blessed you. We hope that you understand that we're all going through challenge. Our challenge is no different than yours. Pain is pain. But we hope we encouraged you in some way just to keep going, to keep believing. Don't let your circumstances rob your hope. Don't let circumstances come in and tell you God doesn't have an end. He has a plan. And I have a question for you. Maybe like us, you have gone through challenge. You've gone through adversity. Maybe you're going through something right now in your finances. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you too have a child at home that's just not where you want to be emotionally or, or physically. Maybe it's relationally. My question is, are you doing it alone? Maybe in this room right now, there's some of you. I may, be, I may be not speaking to you, but I might be speaking to someone just like you. That you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Now, in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And the reason I do that is because September 9th, just recently, this last September 9th, at 9.37 p.m., I celebrated my 30th year of salvation. He has never left me and all came because I raised my hand. I believe God's going to intervene in your life today. Because life is a story of reconciliation. It's true reconciliation between you and God. 
For the Bible says, if we confess our sins and repent and call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Maybe you've never accepted him. Or maybe your circumstances have gotten so big and the challenges has built up over the years and all of a sudden God just seems to be out of view and you just can't seem to see him anymore. So all of a sudden you become more self-conscious and less God-conscious and then you start to think that God isn't real or God doesn't exist because my problems are so enormous. And maybe that's caused you to go back to some things that are unhealthy for you. Or maybe you've just had this thing in your life that caused you just to turn away from God immediately. And you have no, one why, no idea in the world why you're here today. But I'm going to say it's divinely appointed that you're here today. Every eye closed.